Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hello, my self-lovers. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to make sure that you're giving yourself the gift of self-love. Now, if you don't know what the gift of self-love is, it's a workbook that will help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to finally love yourself. And it's now available in stores and online worldwide. Oh my goodness, I've been waiting to say that because I've been working on this book for years. I poured my heart and soul into it, compiling everything that I teach at my retreats and putting it into this heartfelt, relatable, and actionable workbook for you. The cool thing is this book is a combination of me sharing my life story and everything that's helped me on this self-love journey, including body acceptance, and it's a workbook that you can actually write in. So every single thing that I share, you can put into practice right away. There are quizzes, journal prompts, self-reflection exercises, self-love challenges, all of which will help you with body image, confidence, self-worth, and self-love. I'm holding it right here. It's right in front of me and it's absolutely gorgeous. Not to toot my own horn or anything, but we've nailed the design on this one. It makes such a wonderful gift both for yourself and for your loved ones. Perhaps you have a friend that could really use this message and that, you know, needs a little push, loving push in the right direction. And I think that this book is just a great gift. Hence, the gift of self-love. So if you haven't gotten it yet, you can get it today by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book. I'm certain that the tools I share in this book will change your life as much as they've changed mine. So again, that's maryscupoftea.com slash book and give yourself the gift of self-love. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. Today, I have a very special guest for you, actually, somebody that I've been wanting to talk to for so long, ever since I found her on Instagram a couple years ago through one of her viral videos, I believe, because our guest today, Asia Mayrock, is a spoken word poet. If you don't know what a spoken word poet is, it's essentially somebody who writes poetry and then performs it on stage. And it's so breathtaking because these poets, when they write their work, they picture it being read in a certain way. And when you have the gift of hearing the writer read their own work in the way that they intended it to be, it just hits straight to the heart. So this conversation is very heartfelt. Asia is a beautiful writer, a beautiful poet. Actually, she will read us two of her poems from her poetry book, Dear Girl. That'll be towards the end of the episode. So if you're short on time, you could even fast forward to about 45 minutes in and at least indulge in the pleasure of her spoken word. We also talk a lot about publishing her first book at 19 years old, and what that was like, what the writing process is like, tips for becoming a writer, or if you're a creative person of any sort. Asia and I talk a lot about writing, how to draw inspiration, where you get it from, and also this question of social media. Like, do you have to be on social media in order to be a creative person? Because I know there's a lot of people who do do that, but as you'll hear in this conversation, there are other options for you. And Asia so vulnerably opens up about her experience with bullying, which is 
essentially what first led to her writing and publishing her first book called The Survival Guide to Bullying, which that's the one that was picked up by Scholastic, and different tools that have helped her heal from bullying and kind of change her pain and make it into her purpose and her platform, which is so impressive. Asia has worked with so many different brands, not just as like a spokesmodel, but actually as a spokesperson because she speaks for a lot of brands and her poetry is the vehicle to spreading that message. And one brand that particularly stands out is ABC and Disney Channel. They have a campaign called Choose Kindness and Asia actually participated in that alongside Haley Steinfeld and Alicia Cara. And that was all about bullying and mental health awareness, which is something that's so near and dear to her heart. So this conversation is rich. It's well-rounded. It's heartfelt. It's one of the longer interviews I've had on this podcast in a while. And that is for a good reason, because I just really enjoy talking to Asia as just a person, a friend, and I hope you enjoy listening. So without further ado, please welcome Asia Mayrock to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. Hi, Asia. Thank you so much for being here on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to get to talk to you. I'm so glad we could make this work because I've been a fan of your work for so, so long. I think I found you because a few of your videos have gone viral on the internet. And anytime I hear you speak, whether it's on your Instagram stories or in like a produced video, it always brings chills just down my arms like the good kind. Mm, Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure you get this a lot. You're a writer and a spoken word poet, and you have such a way with words. And I would love to know where your writing inspiration comes from. Mm. You know, I think my journey with writing has really changed with every year that goes by. So I began writing when I was like eight years old, and I was dealing with a lot of really severe bullying. And I used to have a lisp and a stutter. And I would write as a way to kind of cope with what I was going through and also find meaning in the experience and connect with my voice. So at that time, I was writing about bullying. I was writing about what was happening to me mental health-wise. And then as I got older, whether it was things that I was going through in my life or things that I saw happening in the world or in the lives of friends or people that I loved, I just kind of took inspiration from whatever was happening and allowed that to guide me down different paths of writing. And I think also I have found that whenever I start writing something just based on a moment of inspiration, I don't necessarily see the big picture of where that writing is going or what those themes are. I just kind of go with it and have fun and be creative and then see what it develops into later on. Mm, I love that approach. It's personally the one that I take because I think in school we were taught to do like an outline and have a very clear view on like the beginning and the middle and the end. And remember when we wrote all those topic sentences? (laughs) Yes, yes. And I've felt that, you know, as not as great of a writer, a mediocre writer, but one who tries to journal, even if just for myself, as long as I just start it'll turn into something. Mm, Absolutely. Actually, it's so funny you say that because whenever people ask me for writing advice, one, I always feel that I am a baby writer. Like I am still learning so much, but that is the one thing that I think 
has resonated with me the most and hopefully with other people is I think the hardest part is starting. And as soon as you sit down and you write the first line, you are already so far ahead. Yeah, exactly. And I think I find the most solace in the books and the writers. Like for example, well, one author that comes to mind right away, I don't know if you've heard of her, but Anne Lamott or Anne Lamott, Bird by Bird. Yes. I have that book actually on my bookshelf. It's so good. I love how she doesn't sugarcoat the writing process. Like she's like, it's hard. It fucking sucks, but you got to do it anyways. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's true. There's so many moments when I am writing and I am just like, oh, I can't do this. (laughs) I I have like no belief in myself right now. And I just don't know where this is going, but you're right. You just, you have to do it anyway. Yeah. And it's, it's very, very deep. And especially so when you're sharing your writing with the whole world, especially given that the roots were a bit vulnerable, like dealing with bullying and mental health and just you sharing that is so, so big. What gives you the courage to do that? You know, I think that when I wrote my first book, I never imagined it would reach a lot of people. And I just was hoping that no one would feel the way that I had felt with the bullying and the mental health repercussions that I had gone through. And so I wrote it just hoping it would help one person. And I also didn't really think about the impact it could have or or how many people would have it in their hands necessarily. And so I think had I thought about that, that would have scared me so much. But the fact that I was just thinking of it at kind of like a small level allowed me to just be open and share my story. And then as I continued writing and continued sharing my work with bigger and bigger audiences, definitely I have moments of being nervous or scared to be vulnerable. But I think as a writer, it's important to write the things that scare you, but share the things that you feel okay being vulnerable with and not just kind of diving in headfirst and exposing yourself fully without feeling comfortable enough to do so. Mm, That is a really important point, especially because vulnerability has been like the hot topic lately. And I think for some people that can be really, really liberating. And for other people, it could feel like, well, if they don't share all their deep, dark secrets, then they're somehow going to get left behind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a lot of pressure. Not to get like super nitty gritty, But as I told you before we started recording, this conversation with you is a selfish pursuit because I've been such a fan for a while. But how did you go from writing for yourself? I'm picturing Teenage Asia with her journal. Is that that what it was? Okay. Very accurate. And then like, are you in high school? Did you submit your work somewhere? You know how they have those showcases at school or did you go to a open mic? Can you do spoken word poetry at an open mic? Like what was that? And where did you really start, I guess, going from writing for yourself to writing for the public and and getting your work out there? Yeah. So I actually wasn't thinking that my writing was poetry or spoken word when I was in high school. So where it kind of began, I began writing my first book, The Survival Guide to Bullying. And I submitted some of my writing and some of my poetry that at that time I didn't quite call poetry into the Scholastic Art and Writing Awards. And for me, that was a really pivotal moment because it gave me the confidence to be like, oh, 
I can write and people think that my writing is good. Um, so I remember I won a gold and silver key with the Scholastic Art and Writing Awards, which is something that anyone in middle school and high school can submit to. Then from there, I wrote my book. It took me a few years and I didn't necessarily have a plan of where I was going to go with it. And then ultimately, I decided to self-publish it because I had no idea how you go about publishing a traditional book. So I self-published it as an ebook, and it came out. And then about one month after it came out, Scholastic emailed me and asked if they could acquire my book, which was an absolute dream come true and also very shocking moment because it felt like things went from zero to 100. Yeah. So that is kind of how I began that process. Wow, that is so incredible. How old were you? So when I began writing my book, I was 16. And then when I self-published it, I was 19. And then a month later, you're still 19 and Scholastic picks it up. Yeah, yeah. Wow, what did that feel like? I felt like I was walking on clouds. I mean, it, it was amazing and really rewarding. And I just felt so excited to be able to go on this path and hopefully reach a lot of people that were struggling with this book and this message. Mm, Yeah. And it's so, so needed. So in this moment, you're 19 and you got your book published. And I think what I really want to highlight is that a lot of people might hear that story or hear anybody else's success story and see that, oh, well, she's so lucky. Like she's probably a really good writer. And then what are the odds that one month later? And that's like a once in a lifetime, one in a million kind of thing that could never happen to me. And one thing that I heard really early on when I felt so stuck and I felt like no matter what kind of content I would put out there, nobody was really listening to it. I had a following of like, my background is like in fitness. So I have this fitness account and everybody who was following me, like 90% of my audience were like old men. And it was just really discouraging to feel like no matter what, nobody was listening. I could never have an opportunity like that. And somebody told me early on that luck or like getting lucky or an opportunity like that is opportunity meets preparation. So like, unless you're really prepared for the opportunity, like if you didn't publish, self-publish your book, which is also such a big thing to do, writing a book, let alone publishing it, doesn't matter which way you go about it. But had you not done that or had that manuscript or back when you were, you know, a teen and picked up your first journal, that opportunity could have come. You could have saw the same ad in Scholastic to apply for their writing competition and you could have not even looked at it or thought twice about it had you not done that preparation. Mm, Absolutely. No, that is so true. I love that, that saying that you just shared. And it's true. And and also when I self-published my book, I wasn't sitting at home waiting for someone to find it. I was speaking at schools. I was doing, you know, some like radio interviews or like, honestly, whenever I could share my story in my book, I was doing it. And so you're right. It really is that kind of cross section of luck and preparation. Mm, Exactly. And do you know like how they found you? Yes. There was an article that was written about me in Publishers Weekly. This really amazing woman came across my story and she did like freelance writing for Publishers Weekly. And she was, I guess, really interested by this teenage girl that wrote a book and self-published it about her story with bullying. And so she wrote this article about it. 
And Publishers Weekly, for those that don't know, is a trade publication for the publishing industry. So that is how they and and other publishers found out about it. Wow. And for the record, Publishers Weekly is really hard to get published in. And often they sell space, which is what my publisher did for my book. Yeah, because we got in Publishers Weekly, but we had to buy it. So the fact that somebody reached out out of pure interest is like a story or a human, a book they really wanted to cover. Mm. Oh, wow. That's so cool. I had no idea. Yeah. Just wanted to like make sure people know how big that is in the writing world. What do you like more, writing poetry or speaking poetry? And how did you get into even poetry and speaking after that book on bullying? Ooh, that's a great question. So (laughs) I love different aspects of both. But I would say that for me, the writing part takes a lot more discipline, a lot more focus, and generally is harder for me than the performing part of it. So I kind of see it as this process that goes hand in hand, you know, for me to be able to speak the words that I feel most passionate about and connected to, I have to do the hard work of sitting and writing and editing and working through. So I've kind of gotten to this place where I feel like I can't pick one because I couldn't do one without the other. And then I was writing poetry throughout my teenage years, but as you said, I didn't consider myself a poet. I always saw for some reason that the barrier to entry to be a poet was so high and it felt like it was this thing that was unattainable or it felt like you were like born as a poet and you like arrived at it and that was it. So for me, I was just writing and rhyming my words, but I never saw it as poetry. And then I wrote a poem that I started performing when I was speaking on my my first book tour with The Survival Guide to Bullying. And that poem was like 15 minutes and it told the story of my journey with bullying and overcoming bullying. And I would share it, especially when I went to schools. And I noticed that the response from particularly students was so overwhelming and it kind of was this door that opened up for them to share their stories, whether they were bullied, whether they were bullying someone, whatever it might be. And I just really, really fell in love with poetry and spoken word from that point forward. And I also felt more comfortable looking at my work as poetry once it had been received that way, if that makes sense. And so then from there, I just kept writing and playing with it and honestly not looking at it as like, this is going to be part of my career. But I kept writing about different things, whether it was mental health, whether it was women's issues, whether it was sustainability, just kept exploring different topics that I found important. And that's kind of how it turned into part of my writing journey. Wow. So just to clarify, you went on a book tour for the survival guide to bullying. And as part of the book tour, like when you're speaking on stages at school, you shared a poem that you wrote that was not in the book, right? Yes, correct. So it was just like part of like your speaking presentation to better connect with students? Yes. It was instead of speaking through every year of my bullying experience, I decided to write it into a giant poem. Wow. Oh my gosh, I have chills because I'm picturing, (laughs) like you said, the overwhelming response from students. I know I like 
really admired people who came to my school when I was even in middle school and who got up on stage. And even if they shared one sentence that was impactful, I would like cry, but teenage hormones. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I couldn't imagine seeing you at that age. I would probably lose it. (laughs) That is really, really cool. And then from there, you started going more into poetry and spoken word. Wow. And simultaneously, were you doing anything else? Like, were you in college or working or anything alongside? Yeah. So I was in college. Let's see. My book came out. I just turned 20. Yes. So I was a sophomore in college. So I was going to school full-time and I was speaking several times every week. And at that point, I wasn't doing a lot on social media yet. But uh, yeah, I was speaking several times every week and going to school. And was that just a ripple effect? Like you speak at one school and suddenly another school reaches out and they heard about you and they want you to speak there too? Yeah, a lot of it was word of mouth, especially with schools and libraries. It was a lot of word of mouth and then some conventions and conferences and such that either came through my publisher or just came to my email directly. Wow. The most underrated form of marketing is word of mouth. It's so true, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the most like impactful one for sure. And you said you were in school. What, where did you go and what did you study just out of curiosity? So I went to NYU and I studied dramatic writing and I minored in business. Oh, okay. Wow. Do you feel like college gave you the tools for doing what you do now? Oh, it definitely helped. Yeah, absolutely. I was in this tricky position because I had sold my first book before I started school. And so luckily, a lot of the writing courses that I wound up taking were in different areas of writing. So I felt that it really could develop me more as a writer in all aspects. And then I'm really interested in the business side, especially the entertainment industry. And so I got to learn a lot more about that as well. So it was really cool to, I think, help round me out in all of the areas that I found interesting or wanted to pursue. Wow. Are you doing this full time, like writing and speaking? Is this like your main thing? Yes, it is. So writing, speaking, and then working with brands on different campaigns for social media. Yeah, it's become my full time thing, which has been amazing and such a dream. Yeah, I didn't even know a dramatic writing major exists, but I I love that it's at NYU. It's a lot of like screenwriting, playwriting. I have always wanted to write for film and TV. And so I got to do a lot of work in that space in school, which was really cool. Plot twist. You're not yet maybe writing for film and TV, but you're on film and TV with your own writing. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the same soup, but like different. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Oh, that is so sweet. So I wanted to circle back and I have a complicated roundabout question, but Again, circling back to teenage Asia when you started writing as a way to cope and then you wrote The Survival Guide to Bullying as a way to help others cope. And I think what I'm really inspired by, like similar to the luck is opportunity meets preparation. Another thing I'm low-key obsessed with is how a lot of our disadvantages or our struggles or challenges, the things that we have to go through ultimately become not even like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of thing, but ultimately turns into almost like your biggest advantage and your greatest strength. And I've seen that to be true for so many people. And one of my favorite 
writers slash economist Malcolm Gladwell wrote a whole book about it, how the little guy sometimes ends up beating the big guy because even though David from the Bible story is little, he could outmaneuver the giant, right? And knew how to swing his, uh, what do you call it? The slingshot and take him down. And it was not despite his disadvantage, but because of what was a disadvantage that turned into such a big, big strength. Do you feel that way when it comes to your journey, whether it's overcoming bullying or mental health, and then kind of turning your pain into your platform? Mm, absolutely. The last chapter of my my first book is actually called The Benefits of Being Bullied. And I know it sounds <laughs> bizarre, but I do. I think that I've been able to to turn it into a lot of positives in my life. But that being said, I also feel that I live with a lot of the negatives of it still. And I worry that part of why I wanted to write the first book was that I I felt like a lot of young people were not able to turn it from a negative into a positive. And so I feel really lucky I've been able to, but it's definitely... I think a really difficult thing for any issue. So I definitely think it's a big positive and a source of inspiration in my work, but it's such a a complicated thing for so many people. And I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to turn really horrific tragedy and trauma into into positives, because I I think sometimes those mountains are so, so high and, and hard to climb. Mm, Yeah, that cannot be understated, not to mention like the different intersections of people's circumstance. And again, sometimes it is you're just lucky to, I don't know, maybe you saw a counselor or somebody intervened or, you know, a parent cared, whereas a lot of people, children don't have that. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So personal question, totally can answer in whatever way you're comfortable with, but what are some parts that as an adult, you're still healing? Mm, That is a very good question. I think that, and actually, interestingly enough, with some friends who have also dealt with a lot of bullying when they were younger, something I've, I've experienced, and I think I've heard others say is that there will be moments maybe with friendships or, you know, different situations socially where something is kind of triggered that reminds you of bullying or cyberbullying or just something that you went through during that period of life that makes you look at what you are dealing with as an adult differently. And that's something I have definitely noticed that there are definitely moments where I feel more like younger Asia, more like 12 year old Asia and the circumstances I was dealing with, with peers, but as an adult. And so that can be tricky. And in those moments, always remind myself and have to like ground myself that that is a time from the past and that the people in my life now are are good people. They don't want to hurt me. And I have the tools that I need to be an adult in a different situation than, you know, mean kids in school. So I think those are a lot of the moments where things can get, you know, can remind you of a, of a different time. Mm, that sounds like a inner child aspect. I think. Yeah. That, yeah. The older I get and the more therapy I do, I find that I am catching myself more and more in moments of 
like my inner child. Like I'm like, oh, hello. Right now I am throwing a tantrum. And other times my inner child is crying because she's hungry. And like, sometimes we are just like big adult babies. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely. That is so true. I would say most of the time, at least for me personally. So what I really heard you say is that you recognize those moments and that now you're also an adult and you have different tools to deal with them and and different, better people around you to support you. Totally. You said it way, way better and way more concise than I did. But yes, exactly that. And that it's not middle school or high school. The circumstances are different. And I think generally people are not as cruel as or maybe don't have time to be as cruel as like bullying that can take place in middle school and high school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I used to roll my eyes when adults would be like, it gets better. There's a whole world oh, out same. there. <laughs> yep. yep. And now, now I'm like trying to tell my sister, like it gets better. I swear the real world, quote unquote, whatever that means. So annoying to say, but kind of true. There's so many people that are going to vibe with you. There's so many things to be interested in. There's so many jobs and career opportunities that they never taught you about in high school. There's just so, so much out there. It's so true. And also, even if people are really mean as adults, I think the difference is that you have more options to choose from when you're not, you know, in your one school, in your one classroom. And so, as you said, there are so many amazing, kind, great people that you'll meet in life. Mm-hmm. Aside from your writing, what are some tools or maybe even people that really supported your mental health journey as you healed from or are healing? I guess it's always continuous from the years of of abuse. I had a really hard time talking about my experience until I was around 15. And because of that, I didn't really communicate to the adults in my life that I could have talked to, which I really do regret. But ultimately, when I did open up, I was really, really lucky to have very, very kind, incredible parents that were willing to listen and wanted to help. And then as I got older, I think when I was in college, I went to therapy, which was also so incredibly helpful. And then I think the other tool that was more just a natural progression of getting older, but was very helpful was that I ultimately wound up meeting friends as I got older that were really kind, good people. And I learned to trust people my age again. I learned to, you know, explore friendships that were really deep and meaningful. So I think all of that together was so, so helpful for me. I wish that as adults, we valued friendships more, or at least weren't afraid to talk about how important friendships are, like adult friendships, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And they take work to make and to cultivate, especially when you have your own work and life and family and whatever. Like sometimes we don't realize how it really takes time to like call your friend and and listen and build that relationship and do things together, just like dating, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It really, really does. You're so right. And now would you say like you have really close, good friends and and what helped you? Like, where did you meet them for people who feel like they don't have a solid group of friends or even a friend? Like, where do you make friends? I definitely met a lot of friends when I moved out and went to college and I'm still meeting friends. <laughs> I, I love to meet new people. So 
I love to join, you know, different organizations or groups, or I do volunteering and I love to meet people in any different situation I can. But yes, I do have really solid friendships now that I'm so grateful for that have taught me that I can trust and I can have really deep, meaningful friendships with people. And and I don't have to fear that same type of cruelty that I experienced when I was in middle school and high school. I'm so sorry you went through that. Thank you. The thing is, is like so many people around the world go through it. And I'm sure in your conversations with people, you have come across such similar stories because it's really just such a enormous issue. Yeah, for sure. Bullying and harassment and kids are mean, adults are mean, older kids are mean. Especially with social media. I think that really exacerbates everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the kind of bullying I experienced, although not as severe, but it was like anonymous question forums and Facebook messages and Tumblr stuff, a lot of things like that. And for some reason, it well, I'm not going to compare. It's all awful. But sometimes the internet feels like a little bit more cruel and permanent, I guess, you know, and harder to maybe explain or control. Whereas like if somebody's picking at you at school, like a lot of kids go to the extent of like telling a teacher, a parent, like having the conversation, switching schools even. But when you're on the internet, it's like you can't get away from it. Exactly. Did you experience that as well in high school? The cyberbullying? Yes, absolutely. Um, When I was a freshman in high school, a girl I had never met who had gone to my old school dressed up as me for Halloween and she posted (gasps) it online. And suddenly I was faced with hate comments and death threats and cyberbullying at a level I had never experienced before because of social media. And so for so many years since, and honestly, still to this day, I am very, very cautious with social media because I do think social media and the internet is this incredible tool that has made so much possible. It's made this conversation right now between you and I possible, but I also have seen this really dark, cruel side to it and what can happen when people gang up on someone or on many people. And so, yeah, that was definitely something that was part of my journey and something I think about often. Wow. Like with that in mind, how do you keep your boundaries with social media? Because I noticed that you don't feel the need to document every single thing that goes on. And I'm wondering like what your mindset is about it. Like, how do you think about social media? Yeah, absolutely. I I think this is kind of what we were talking about before we started recording. I really, really value privacy and I love having boundaries in my work life and my personal life. And so I really use social media as a tool to share my work, to connect, to share my writing and to share parts of my life. But I definitely film or shoot a lot of stuff in bulk. And I take a lot of time to be off of it because I also find as a writer, and I think probably many artists and creative people relate that the more time I spend on social media, I think sometimes can stifle my creativity. And sometimes I can feel like I'm really comparing my work to other people's or my career to other people's. And I just notice sometimes it's not good for my work and then also for my mental health. And so I really look at it as a part of my work. And when I want to step away from that, I have created my content in bulk and I can kind of not be on it and just live my life in the present and not feel like I always have to be checking social media. I really needed to hear that because a lot of 
creatives, myself included, we feel kind of stuck. Like we know that social media isn't helping us feel better or create stuff or even, you know, be productive or like work or do things that actually make money and not necessarily just documenting everything on social media and essentially working for free, like free emotional labor. And there's that aspect of like, well, so many successful people or people who look successful are on social media 24 seven. And it's like, if nobody's there to see your art or pay for it, then I can't put food on the table. I can't grow. I can't spread my message and continue doing what I love. And it kind of feels like a double-edged sword. Absolutely. I was actually going to follow this up by asking you what your relationship is like with social media and how you navigate it, because I completely relate to everything you're saying. And I honestly still struggle with trying to figure out where those boundaries lie for me because sometimes I I will be off of social media for days and I'll feel great, but I will also feel unsuccessful. And so it's a very strange place to live in, as I'm sure you relate to. Yeah, exactly. And I wish I could say, because I've tried to do a lot of mindset on this and my favorite mindset question to ask myself is like, if you're struggling with some kind of belief or you're making assumptions or just making up stories in your head, sometimes I'll ask myself like, well, what if the opposite was true? And the opposite of like, unless I'm on social media all the time, then I'm not successful. The opposite would be like, the less time I spend on social media, the more successful I am. And I've been trying to like feel that way and to prove it true. But then I like look at the brand deals coming in and the followers like have been not increasing, if anything, decreasing or like engagement and like all those metrics that I guess social media people generally use. I feel like they're going down. So I'm now I'm like, oh, fuck, my original story is true. So I can't say I have found an answer. I can say that I've been better at the frequency of how often I go on. Like, I feel like I'm not good at having like designated time or designated days, but I definitely like don't open up Instagram every time I sit on the toilet to pee. Um, So that's been a little bit better over the years, but I don't have a clear solution to that or answer because it does feel like the more I'm online, the more things feel successful, whether it's book sales or again, the story views or the brand deals, you know, like even on a day, like a weekend, if I'm like documenting Sunday and my stories are litty, literally I'll wake up Monday. (laughs) I'll wake up Monday morning with like brand deals in my inbox. Wow. Um, That is wild. Yeah. Interesting. Really? So you don't feel it? Maybe I'm making it up, not like invalidating myself, but maybe people just send brand deals on Monday. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. No, but I, to be honest, I've heard the sentiment that you're sharing from so many of my friends who are in this space. So I, I don't think that you're making this up at all. I do think people probably do send brand deals on Monday, but no, I, (laughs) I do think you're right that I think that the more that you engage with it, yes, I'm sure engagement will go up and and brand deals and such. I think one thing that I've tried to think about more, and by the way, I love what you shared before about looking at it from the, like, what if the opposite was true? Because as an overthinker, (laughs) that is something I really need to be practicing every day. But I really love what you were sharing with that. And one thing that I sometimes try to remember is that I want every year, obviously, to be better than the last, but I'm also looking at the long game rather than like, how can I build everything so fast, so great right now? It's like a tricky thing because it's definitely like, I feel like probably the answer is somewhere in between. But whenever I have 
gone down in followers or engagement or this or that, I try to, and obviously this does not work all the time, but sometimes I try to take a step back and think, okay, what do I want for the long game? How can I build towards that? And if it kind of dips here and then peaks in other areas, that's okay because I'm building towards that long game and that's just going to be a natural part of the journey. Mm, Yeah, good point. Like you can't pay attention to the little dips or even the little peaks because it's going to fluctuate. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And some other thoughts I have is like some of the people that I admire the most or that I see as most successful, like, first of all, you have to define what successful is like is successful having a lot of followers. Cause I know people with a lot of followers who are not happy or broke or not really doing what they love or just feel shallow, I guess. And then obviously there are people with lots of followers who really, really love it and thrive off of it. And they don't really care about what they're creating outside of that because they really like having the big platform to spread a message on. But the people that I personally admire the most and the people who I read and spend the most time consuming aren't people with lots of followers. They're generally academics or writers or business owners that have built businesses outside of social media. So that's something that I, I too ponder about, like how worthwhile is it? Mm, you're so right. Yeah, that's very, very true. And that defining for yourself what success is, I think, and that can be constantly evolving. But I think that's so important because I, I mean, at least my definition of success has totally changed over the years. If you were to pick your primary occupation or when you introduce yourself and somebody like asks, what do you do? Do you say I'm a writer or do you ever think of yourself as like a social media influencer? I generally say I'm a writer and a poet. And then when people ask more about my day to day or like all aspects of my work in my business, then I talk about social media. I don't usually use the word influencer. I think because I feel that since I'm generally just not just, but mostly sharing my writing on social media, I feel like it fits less into that box. But, you know, I'll call myself that if that helps people understand it too. Yeah. I think I personally never think of myself as an influencer. I think it's kind of been forced upon me and it's a constant practice to remind myself that my main thing is writing and speaking and social media is just like a vehicle to spread it. But, you know, because of how glamorous it is and so many different factors, how it pays the bills. It lets me, you know, run this podcast because there's no no sponsors on this podcast, but I do get brand deals on my Instagram. So that's still like important to keep the lights on. But I have to constantly remind myself that I came here to write. Mm, yeah, absolutely. On that note, kind of using this as a segue, where do you recommend people start if they want to be a writer or a creative of some sort? And is social media necessary? Because I know your journey proves otherwise. And it's different from mine, right? Where it's like my social media following built and then that brought writing opportunities. But for you, it was kind of the opposite. So where do you recommend people start if they want to be a writer, a poet, or any kind of creative? I think that the best place to start is by connecting with your passion, because I think you mentioned this earlier, but if you're doing something and you don't have the passion for it, if you're not really in love with it, then one, it's not sustainable, but two, like go find the thing that you really love and you feel passionate about. So connect with that passion and that energy and also just begin, like write the first line, which for me can also be incredibly difficult, like sitting down 
and bringing myself to that place where I begin writing whatever it is that I want to write. But I do think those are two very important parts of the journey. I also think that it's really important to find your voice and to not feel like you need to mimic anyone else's voice or be overly inspired by someone else's voice. So, you know, read a lot, watch a lot, listen to a lot and find your groove in all of that. I also think that competitions can be super helpful. At least in my experience, it gave me a sense of, oh, I can do this or people like it. So I think that can be great. With social media, I struggle with answering this because I don't know that I'm the right person to ask because I began without really leaning into social media and then over the years have have leaned into it and definitely found the benefits of sharing my work on social media. So I think that I, I don't know the answer if it is necessary or not, but I think do what you feel best suits your work. And there are happy mediums I feel like that you can explore and play with. And I think it's also really important that if someone tells you like, this is the only way to remember that that is not true and that you can pave your own path, it might be a lot harder. It might take a lot longer, but you can find your own path and to experiment with writing styles and your voice and, and the different paths that you want to take towards whatever dreams that you might have. Mm, A few things I want to double click on there. Firstly, I think you're the perfect person to ask because you've leaned into social media over time. And that wasn't like your main hen right off the bat. Cause I think that's where I struggle giving advice. Cause I'm like, well, I don't know. My social media kind of just blew up, but you really started with your craft. Yeah. I don't know why I always struggle with questions like this just because I don't want to make anyone feel like there is one way. And I'm sure you relate to this as well, because like there's so many ways and so many paths that you can take. There's so many ways, so many paths for sure. Whenever I think about that, I think about like how there are people that are literally creating their own PhD programs. (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely. Like there are people who literally get doctorates in things you would never even imagine, not to mention, is it in Liverpool, right? Is that where the Beatles are from? Like there were so many students creating their own graduate program on the Beatles that now they actually offer a graduate program on the Beatles. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Right? Like what do you call that? PhD in Beatles studies? I have no idea. (laughs) Is that deceiving? Like, do people think you're an insect expert? Like, (laughs) um, oh my God, I love that. But yeah, and like, there's so many platforms, like you said, writing competitions, or even if you hate social media, you can blog on platforms like Medium or Substack, which allow you to have like paid newsletters or you can pitch to write for like online magazines. And there are so many people that can write for Huffington Post. All you got to do is like keep sending out your writing. So there's other ways to go about it, I'm sure. Absolutely. Totally. Sometimes I almost feel like social media limits me. I'm like, if I wasn't on social media, what would I be doing? And the answer is usually like, I would probably be writing on Medium or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like With all of the negatives that can come from social media, we're so lucky because there are also so many opportunities to get your work out there. Yeah, yeah. We are really lucky. It's like the online world has definitely brought up a host of opportunities. I wanted to, one last thing about writing, and then I would love if you could read to us so we can indulge in your spoken word. 
But one thing I wanted to highlight from your Instagram, which I highly recommend people follow because you have so many tidbits of your spoken word, which is the most profound to me. And one thing you wrote on just like a, a regular post was, I have found that there are a few different kinds of writing. There's writing that pours from you when your heart aches and your blood boils. There's writing that drips from you as you wander through your mind. Then there's the writing that crawls from you with every day that you sit down, pick up your pen and dare to begin again. My favorite writing is the first. And I found that really, really inspiring. Not just your beautiful words, but also the message that whatever your process is at whatever point in the day, like it is all writing. Yeah. Thank you. Actually, it's so funny. I wrote that in a day where I was very frustrated because I was not writing at the level that I wanted to be. And I was like, okay, I just need to do something in the writing space today. And I went into this like restaurant area and sat at the bar and I just wrote that and it literally poured out of me. And I was like, huh, maybe someone else will relate to this. (laughs) What a paradox too. I love it. That's the best kind when you write about the shit that you feel, even if it, yeah. it like, usually though, it feels like the smallest thing. You're like, Ugh. <laughs> you know, exactly. And when I wrote that, I was like, I wasn't like, Oh, I like this, but I was like, yeah, this feels real. And then I closed the book. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's like a really cool, definitely a cool moment when that type of thing happens. But I'm glad that you relate to that. I've heard from a few other writer friends as well that, that connected with that. And I'm really glad that it had that, uh, that impact. Yeah. And months later too. So it's really something that's, that's lived on. I've heard a couple of different things. Keep saying one last thing on writing, but I obviously geek out about writing, but like advice such as write about shit that irks you or write about something that you can't not say. Yes. Yes. Like I like that kind of stuff. Cause I'm like, mm, something that irks you could be as simple as like, when people slurp their soup. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's something that everybody will relate to. Totally. I also love those like tidbit advice about writing. One that always has stuck with me my whole life is, and I can't remember the first time I heard it, but it was um, write the thing that terrifies you to write. Mm, chills. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Do you have any like writer role models that you really look up to, whether they're famous or not? I have a bunch. I would say in different areas. So, I mean, one of my favorite poets of all time, and I think it was the first poetry book that I was given was, or is Rumi. And I love his work and I love that it has transcended centuries. I really, really love Elie Wiesel. And then in like the TV space, I love Shonda Rhimes. So it it really varies depending on the space. What about you? Sorry, I was just looking up because you said centuries and I couldn't believe it because I didn't realize how old it was because like you said, it's something that transcends centuries. I I literally thought that Rumi was like someone on the internet because everything they wrote feels so, so relevant. Right. That's why I just I'm completely mesmerized by his work every time I reread it. Wow. Yeah. No, seriously, like I'm I'm shocked. This is something I did not know. You asked what about me, like who I really look up to. I'm currently on a Toni Morrison kick. Oh, I love Toni Morrison. This is the first book I picked up of hers. Found it at Goodwill for $2 and realized that it's a classic that we weren't required to read in school. So I'm like, okay, I have to. And I'm like 50 pages in. And I don't know if anybody knows this reference, but basically she she writes about being a girl, a young girl. And when 
a child that her mom fostered, who was a little bit older than her, started menstruating. <laughs> oh my gosh. And she literally spells it menstruating. And oh wow. It just takes you back to like, you know, when you first started bleeding, like what was that experience like? Yeah, that's currently who I'm really on. Anne Lamott and Lamont. I don't know who is it, Lamont? I don't know either. Yeah. And Lamont. I've been loving. Gosh, who comes to mind? Poet wise. Not that I'm not big on it, but I, I can't think of a poet, but I really like classics, you know, like Ernest Hemingway's. I've always been on Edgar Allan Poe. I'm currently realizing how much the writing that I've read growing up and that I felt really inspired by a lot of it, I would say like 80, 85% is old white men. So um currently on an active journey trying to diversify that. And I also feel like I've been missing out on this whole world of poetry from people of color and people of different ages and genders. And yeah, that's been really profound for me. Oh, amazing. Wow. Well, we'll have to go back and forth after this and share more reading and poetry recommendations because that, that would be really fun. Yes, I would love that. I really, really would. I don't have a lot of writer friends. So Again, this well, is now a we are new friends. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Okay. Well, friend, can I ask you to read me some of your beautiful poetry from your book, Dear Girl? And after we get hooked and cry and have chills down our spine, I'm also going to invite you to talk about Dear Girl, your poetry book, and where people can find you and, and read your work. Oh, amazing. Yeah, sure. So, I will read uh, two different pieces. And then if there's anything else you want me to share as well, I'm happy to read more. But this one is on page 86. I am sorry that the world has taught you that beauty is white and thin. I'm sorry that the world has taught you that your thighs are not supposed to kiss as if they were lovers' lips or that your hair is supposed to be waxed or clipped as if your body were someone else's lawn. And then, I will be there for you through your darkest days. I will stand with you through the most painful decisions. That is what makes me your sister. It is not blood, it is thicker. When you fall, I will brush the dirt from your knees and see you off toward your next great adventure. Mm. Thank you so much, Asia. Wow. Your words are so beautiful. The way you speak them is so beautiful. And this is from your book, Dear Girl. Can you tell us more about it and the inspiration behind it? Absolutely. I'm actually going to read you the little uh, blurb of what Dear Girl is about because I think it sums it up better than I could with my words that are not in poetry form. (laughs) So I wrote Dear Girl a few years ago. It's my first book of poetry. And this is what I wrote to sum it up. Dear Girl is a journey from girlhood to womanhood through poetry. It is the search for truth in silence, the freeing of the tongue. It is deep wounds and deep healing and the resilience that lies within us. It is a love letter to the sisterhood. Mm, I love that. I can't wait to have my sister read it too. Oh, I would love to send her a copy. So you let me know afterwards and I can write a little note and send it to her. (laughs) You're so sweet. Thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Because I also have my own copy and there's no way that I'm giving that away even to my sister. (laughs) (laughs) I did read this in one sitting. It's just a book that's so perfect with a cup of tea and yourself and just thinking about 
your own childhood and your own journey from girlhood to womanhood and also the people around you and the women around you and how we treat each other. And that's what I really love about it is that it's incredibly unifying as is a lot of your work. Thank you. That truly means so much to me. I feel like sometimes with writing, especially writing books, it's hard to tell how it resonates and sits with people. So you sharing that really means a lot. Thank you, Asia. Where can we find you and work with you on the interwebs? (laughs) You can find me at Asia Mayrock. My first name is A-I-J-A and then M-A-Y-R-O-C-K on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. And if somebody wants to, I don't know, bring you into their school or hire you to speak at their organization, is your website the best way to reach out through? Oh, yes. AsiaMayRock.com. I also have my email on my Instagram and just shoot me an email. Perfect. And I highly recommend going to Asia's website and watching some of her videos. I hesitate to call them performances because they feel too real to be called performances. But when Asia is speaking her poetry on stage, it's truly a delight. Thank you. Thank you so much, Asia, for your time. Thanks everyone for listening and I'll see you later. One last thing before we farewell, if you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, we would greatly appreciate if you could leave a short review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. Your feedback helps the show so, so much. I absolutely love hearing from you. And as somebody whose love language is words of affirmation, your words mean the world to me. Just go to the Apple Podcasts app and scroll all the way down until you see the review section. And from there, you can just tap the star thing and leave your own review. Thank you so much for supporting me and this greater message of self-love for all. Also, feel free to send this episode to a friend and spread the gift of self-love. And speaking of the gift of self-love, make sure you pick up my book, which is available in stores and online worldwide. Just head to maryscupoftea.com slash book, and you'll find all the links to give yourself the gift of self-love. I love you all so, so much, and I will talk to you next time. Mwah.